We did some financial analysis that showed that water on demand really is the gorilla in the room. You know, we're launching all these companies and it's fantastic, but water on demand is like, whoa, it's powerful. And good evening, everyone. That was the shortest intro clip yet, but it said something that I think is very, very true and is going to become even uh, more real as we go into this briefing. Now, because people tend to arrive slowly, I've saved the best for last. It is shockingly cool news. So stick around. Water the blue gold. It's a new trademark for the overall business we're in. December 29th, 2022 last briefing of the year and here we go we'll jump into the couple disclaimers and now let's discuss soaring commodities uh, that was today's uh ceo update if you caught it so there are some commodities that, that not a lot of people pay attention to for example look at uranium it's been hugely performing. People haven't even paid attention to it. 100% growth over the last five years and outpacing gold, copper, and oil. I, frankly, I don't get why, why gold hasn't gone greater, but actually gold is starting to move. But, you know, radiance has been fantastic. Okay, great. Look in the rearview mirror. It's doing great. Another one, this is from a Bloomberg story. U.S. farmland is going crazy. And uh, what are some of the reasons well, um, rising commodity prices so they, that farms themselves are highly profitable. Also, as I've been pointing out, people fleeing to the countryside during the pandemic for more friendly places, shall we say. Here's the stat. So as you can see, there was coming out of the 2009 recession, there was a huge growth. And then we're seeing that again coming out of the 2020 um, pandemic situation. And it just took off. So even though there wasn't really a recession, Prior to that, not much anyway, 2019. So it's good. It's fantastic. Um, this uh, The private equity people love it. They're happy with what they got going. They think they got a big trend going on. That's great. Um, also, there was all the supplies of produce like corn, wheat, et cetera, have been uh, choked off because Russia, of course, supplies a lot of these. So the U.S. is benefiting from the conflict, as it is benefiting from selling natural gas to Europe at four times the price they used to get from Russia. The U.S., as it did in World War II, is financially doing very well from the conflict. All right, here's that with that shift in population I was talking about, uh, people moving. First time the growth in rural population outpaced that of urban areas since the mid-1990s, according to USDA. So that's really interesting because that's very much what we're talking about. So rural America picking up population, and it's really people working from home. So growing global population coupled with a changing climate makes the Midwest land super important. Remember, California is in a terrible drought, right? I got a big problem. So and it was a nasty little snarky remark, no piece of dirt or cryptocurrency. Oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been tough. Crypto has been tough. What's the common denominator? Well, they're already high. All of these are already doing well. And um, here's a page from our strategic presentation talking about how water on demand is actually serving the same trend already from our existing paid customers, people who pay up front. We have house developments. We have some great projects, mobile home parks, RV campgrounds, travel stops, hotels. All these projects 
are human communities, right? What water demand can do is basically help that go faster. So not only is it a great trend, what's happening with farmland and so forth price-wise, we're seeing growth in people escaping to secondary cities or the country. So what does that mean? That means that we have this water asset, which is at the beginning. And of course, it too is in the same perfect storm. I was in LA last week, staying with my brother, Mark, who has a blog uh, called aheadofthenews.com. He's an excellent technical analyst. And so he drew me some charts and he shared them with me. You're free to sign up on it for his letter. He's incredibly good and a lot of people swear by him. So let's take a look at what's happening here. On this chart, we have interest rates, the forward rate. And it's very hard to see, but there's a blue one, which is the average. And then there's a thin orange line, stair-stepping down. At the very top, you see he bracketed on screen, he bracketed March to September. And that he is flat. That is, so March 2023 to September 2023 is flat. Then it starts to go down, December on down. So that is what the markets are expecting. This is the options market, right? And so that's really interesting. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look at the volatility. Again, 2000, this is January, and we're going into, this is very high rising volatility, December 2022 into January. And we have a short-term drop in volatility here, you know, which is um, really interesting because that means the market, let's go back to the page here, the market is seeing this flat, this flattening happening. So we have some dropping volatility. What does this all mean? Well, as he explained it to me, this means that we're looking at coming out of this bear market, whatever you call it. March, April, May, June, around that period towards the uh, end of the second quarter. Um, and I think that I think he's right. I think that's where we're going with that. So that's kind of interesting. I thought it was kind of cool. Basically, it's always driven by the Fed, right? So Fed is basically stopping its rises and the market here, this is not the Fed saying it, the market is saying this is what's going to happen. It's going to flatten out between March and September. We're going to spend the whole year just sitting there and um very, very, it's going to be a very tough time. People are going to have a tough time. The market's going to be kind of all over the place, but already people are expecting there's going to be a softening and that's baked into it. Okay. So that was kind of fun and different. And I like this short-term volatility drop, which is, which is going to fuel some short-term good news for the stock market. It's going right into, what is that? January 20th. So the first month of the year, we're going to see lowered volatility before it goes up again. And then the um, historical volatility, the, the jagged line is the implied volatility. And the historical volatility is that, is that uh, very faint gray line you see, which is essentially an average, right? So interesting. All right. Now, I've been talking about, we hear about water wars, but we have not heard much about peace through water. And sure enough, as I've been saying on various podcasts, Israel and Jordan have just renewed their solar for desal plan. And here is the map of the area. And I'm guessing that they're going to bring water up from Aqaba. Uh, well, let's see what they're going to see it do here. So yes, Medi Mediterranean seawater. So actually, it's going to be pipelined from the Mediterranean. Dead Sea is way too salty. It's too much work. So Mediterranean water coming across into Jordan. 
and 600 megawatt solar plant. So Jordan is going to export clean energy to Israel, and Israel is going to send water to 200 million cubic meters to Jordan. This is cool. Israel does not have land for the big central solar stuff. Just like I've been saying, people don't have not a lot of land for big water plants either, right? While Jordan does not have is, is land bound. If you look at Jordan, they have a little bit of access down here in the Red Sea, uh, the Gulf of Aqaba, actually, and that's it. So they have a tough situation, much shorter to go from the Mediterranean Sea straight over to Amman. Israel's Mediterranean coast is 100 kilometers versus more than 300 kilometers for the Gulf of Aqaba. So what does this say? Basically, um, currently, this is Jordanians have very low capability and it's depleting its aquifers. Jordan must have the water being talked about. And this came out of the Abraham Accords, you see at the bottom of August 2020. And that is a good reason why we have stability in that part of the world. And here we go. Ah, implementation time for COP28, uh, Copenhagen 28, which is um, in the UAE next November. So in a year, the next climate change uh, conference, and this will dovetail with that. So it's all very nice. Okay, so also while I was in LA, I spent um, last Saturday an entire day working with an influencer called Estrella Nuri. And um, here's her Instagram page. She has about 130,000 followers. She goes three times a year to, to Europe to model for guests. She's, um, she's currently in a guest Marciano campaign. You can see her, see her in billboards right now. Here's a picture of her on my brother's deck as she was being set up by Josh Summers, our VP Marketing. And I'm taking the picture here. Now, why was this valuable? Estrella did a great job of simplifying what we do, right? We go, oh, well, wastewater treatment, blah, blah, blah. And we go, oh, you're helping businesses recycle water. Thank you very much. And she did a beautiful job of simplifying it. This is going to be the basis for a lot of our Regulation A offering marketing videos, et cetera. Of course, she's going to turn her followers onto this. But more importantly, she's going to change us from a somewhat of a geeky <laughs> water, water people, water guys. There are very few women in water. And uh, one of the reasons is that there were such geeks. To communicate the problem and the solution to the outside world, we need somebody like her who's very good at translating these, these stories. Now, let me tell you about this Regulation A offering. I can't tell you the exact status, but we are in good shape to launch it soon. So that's going to be very powerful for us. All right. Latest news coverage. Well, we got into USA Today, just literally today, 1 p.m. ET. And uh, here we are. It's a short article, but right here, I've been making the point that Global industry and agriculture combined for 88% of fresh water, while 12% is used for people, right? Well, that's why I said we're beating up people, but we really need to hold industry and agriculture more accountable, and that is our job. So nice little hit we got from USA Today today. 20 days ago, we got a end-of-year roundup on the top trends in fintech. Now, we've been saying for quite a while um, that we are a fintech and aquatech, Right. And so, um, actually, Andre said that's cool. 
Marshall says, I have to say, looking at Estrella on the screen beats looking at the usual two guys. Exactly. My point. We need more, more good looking people rather than, I mean, my wife thinks I'm good looking, but you know, I, I think that Estrella has a, it's a very, very smart woman and she is obviously not hard on the eyes. So let's see what Andre said. There's been a fast change um, with financial services organizations, and we are actually seeing digital platforms making great change. So what's happening? So I'm not going to go through all of these. It's a great article, but he talks about AI. And we saw, you guys, you guys saw how ChatGPT took off in the last few days. Chatbots, voice recognition, robotic process automation, banking as a service, open, more open banking growth, more transition to mobile banking, banks that are digital only. Uh, decentralized finance and regulatory technology. And number nine, to top it all out, was us. And I'm basically making the point like, look, let's look beyond just fintech, migration off the grid, as I've been saying, decentralization. And so we created a way to turn a CapEx, which makes things very slow, into an OpEx. And sure enough, um, that is a fintech solution in water. So I think that was a successful pitch and our agency was very successful in doing that. All right, I'm going to do a quick clip. This is the second part of that commodities discussion and it's going to be more of this discussion about commodities. Here we go. Is so it will market forces solve this, you know, more, you know, as those rates go up, more and more people need to, more and more industry needs to treat its own, its own water. There's opportunities like with Origin Clear, your business on doing it at a smaller scale. You don't have to be big industrial scale or, you know, I mean, is, does this also require, you know, it sounds like sewage has no constituents. I mean, does it also require some political oversight as well and emphasis to say, actually, this is going to be, you know, you know the news has been dominated by California, run, you know, the Colorado River Basin running out of water um, and the, you know, and the insanity in some senses of trying to grow almonds in the desert, you know, um, is this getting any political attention now? Is there, does it, the whole thing need a bit of a rethink? Tigers don't change their stripes. If if something doesn't work now, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend it's gonna work in the future. But what we've done, and we really started um, thinking this through in 2020, when because COVID was a wonderful way to have to reanalyze everything, like you know, confront everything in your business. And we were we were finding that yes, there was a tremendous backlog of potential customers, way more than than our current business. And we like, well, how come these people aren't feeding through? And we concluded it that it, um, it's the money, stupid. We concluded that if you want to take the, uh, if you make it frictionless, then don't ask for the capital. Say, okay, um, these people are accustomed to getting their water on the meter from the city. Well, then just give them their water treatment. Uh, let them have their water, their sewage treatment on the meter the same way. And that is very attractive because um, businesses can much easier approve operating expenses. Um, and for example, in a housing development, the developer can pass on the, the ongoing expense to the, house, the homeowners association. So basically people paying as they go is very attractive. And it tends to speed these deals up. So we created something called Water On Demand, which is our version of what you might call water as a service, which is we're not the only ones doing it, but we're certainly the only ones doing it at this scale and um, 
with you know enabling regular investors to come in and get involved. We like to think it's a lot like how oil wells are, um, our partnerships are created or, or solar pools are created. Well, now there's water investments that are possible through this water on demand thing. Um, and we even have a possibility now for the unaccredited investor get it, to get involved. So funding has been flowing in very nicely into this. And now we're starting to provide that fund, that funding to enable people to just sign on a dotted line and they get a service contract that just takes care of the problem. And I think that is a big part of the solution. Yeah. And, you know, so it is the problem though, sort of zooming back out, you know, and we'll put links to Origin Clear in your business in the show notes. But while we've got you talking about, so, I mean, is the problem one of, you know, it's a twin issue, right, of overconsumption and of lack of, of, of not treating and then reusing that water. Um, you know, I mean, which of those, I mean, does, if we treated all the water we use, would that solve the problem? Or are we still generally over-consuming, we, we're over-consuming water in the wrong places because it's always been treated as free and an endless resource? Right. No, I think we have a, we have a, a supply issue. We're, we're, we're definitely wasteful on the inbound. Um, and we need to do more. There's no question about it. Um, but what, uh, unfortunately, the limited amount I can do about it, you know, that's a political solution. What I can do is once the water is in the business or in the, or in the housing division, I can ensure that it's uh, treated and recycled on the spot and get more turns out of it, two, three, four more turns. Well, that's going to make a massive difference ultimately in the, uh, you know, when I was growing up in Europe, you know, we, we used to bring our water bottles back to the, to the recycling, the consigne, as they called it. We'd turn it in and, and you'd get your, you know, 10 francs or whatever it was, you know, for the free little bottle. Well, how come that went away? I mean, everything, and don't tell me that recycling of, I'm not, it's a scandal what's going on with plastics recycling because we know it doesn't really happen. But we need to return to the idea of husbanding these resources and, and you know, reusing it. It's economically much better. And I think we have to rely on the economic argument. We, we can't, this, uh, Washington is besieged with, with um, causes, things to be fixed. Uh, and, you know, the list is long. So, um, you know, yes, they should do something about it, but we, we can't wait. I'll give you an example that very specifically in Miami-Dade County, which was developed on a very helter-skelter basis. They kind of just, the real, real estate developers were in charge and they just built as a result, there's over 100,000 septic tanks. These are individual homes, very spread out in the semi-rural environment that have septic tanks. And of course, those are leaking. Plus you have water uh, seepage, uh, water rise, which is pushing um, fecal matter onto lawns. It's a, most, it's a very pleasant thing for a multi-million dollar home to have fecal matter on the lawn. But we gotta get rid of those, those septic tanks. And the city is saying, the county is saying, well, we'll just spend $6 billion and, and put sewage lines in everywhere. Okay. A, they can't find the 6 billion. B, it'll probably be 16 billion by the time they're done. And C, it'll take 20 years of tearing up the streets. Why not just have a rebate program to let those homes convert to a black water recirculation system where they take care of their own black water in it and uh, the sludge goes into a 
holding tank and once a year it gets emptied out. It's that's mature technology. It's been around for a long time. Fuji Water has an excellent black water recirculation system. We don't we don't compete in the single home space. It's very commoditized. But it's a simple solution. But cities don't yet think that way. The cities are, well, we'll solve it, we'll fix it. Why? Well, they love to make the they love to do those municipal bonds and and they like to be taken out to dinner by the Violio rep and all that good stuff. It's it's kind of how it is. But that's wh- where it should go is to incentivize self-treatment. And, and just in that example there, because again, I feel quite at sea at this one, um, that black water is not going back into the, the household taps to be used for drinking water. Black water can be used for irrigating the, those lovely lawns covered in fecal matter and whatever it might be, right? It's, 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 it's those types well, of Well, it's no longer black, of course. It's black water coming out of the toilet. What you have is your black water coming out of the toilet, gray water coming out of the shower. Most homes don't separate the two. So let's think of it as one thing gets treated by an in-house system. The sludge goes into a holding tank, and what's left is typically good enough for irrigation. And that's what it's used for. Right. Um, I always do, you know, I always kind of marvel, this is a bit of an aside, when you're, you know, the sprinkler starts going, that it's using exactly the same water that we drink, and it just seems if you could separate the two, it might be might make some more sense. Okay, so talk, staying on economics. So, and, and I, and, you know, it, it is in a sense sorting itself out as these rates rise, as there's pressure on treatment facilities in the cities, you know, etc. Rates are rising. It's, it's a pretty regressive tax, I have to say, on people. You know, when you start throwing in those rates of caused by industry and, and agriculture but that is that is solving itself in the sense that technologies like yours modules that can come on site at a medium-sized scale and treat water makes all sense uh, should we also you know for years now water has been sort of hailed as a potential commodity a potential traded commodity um you know and people have been buying water rights here and there and there's been various attempts what about on the, that supply side? Are you starting to see people trying to better economically value, you know, the water, water tables, etc.? It's starting. There's what's called the Velez Water Index, which is traded on the Chicago board, and that has been functioning for some time, um, dealing with California water rights, and it's it's pretty decent. It's a good start. Also, uh, my good friend. Um, um, Ravi Mehta has a company called Water Ledger that resells. It'll take people's unused water rights and resells them to a secondary market, which is good because otherwise these these farmers will, they they won't they won't reduce their their rights. They're going to jealously hold on to their rights, but then they'll waste the water. Um, this is a way to monetize that unused water. Um, there's good things like that happening. Um, I don't think it's happening very quickly, um, but um, it's happening. You know, it's it's a little bit like carbon credits. It's one of these markets that is sort of needs a needs a push. Basically. Mm. Yeah, because um, that would you know when when things got start getting properly economically valued, usually you get quicker movement. Um, so where where does all so. Where does this? We've we've been very much U.S. centric, and that's obviously where your business is based. Where, on a broader scale, in the developing world, is water treatment at? I mean, you know, is this just as you say? It doesn't have many constituents in the United States. I mean, is it pretty much the last thing on the rung of development in Africa, in developing world, in Asia, and so forth? It's a pretty sad situation. <clears throat> we have um, 
we know about Mexico, for example, where basically the the rivers run rainbow. <laughs> They're very polluted. Um, I have a good friend in Puebla who treats the water of the Anglo companies who have to report to their American um, parents, so they have to maintain standards. They're the only ones who are like doing anything about their water. The rest are like, oh, just send it down into the river. The lack of enforcement in Mexico, and Mexico is a relatively advanced country. I consider it a second world country. Look at India, um, no infrastructure at all. They have um, men in the, in the sewage tunnels, digging the stuff out and dying from the sewage gases. It's unfortunate. So you have a zero infrastructure at a in a place like India. So what's the solution? It's not going to be to find $200 billion for water infrastructure. Instead, ultimately, it's going to be this um, unitary self-treatment by homes, housing developments, factories, et cetera. Over time, that's going to have to be how it is. But we have to have some enforcement. There, There is, um, you know, we have corruption in those areas. and um, it's it's there's a long ways to go before these areas become properly serviced it's it's a very sad situation frankly do you think i mean there's going to be a necessity at some point when there's a realization i mean we've spoken often about batteries and critical metals and so forth and those supply chains have moved to china um you know as ultimately the initial driver was that it was nimbyism like you mentioned earlier on right you know that we were wanted to outsource the pollution of the manufacturing of these various minerals and components and so on and china was willing to do that and you know there is a growing recognition you know at least an understanding that there's been catastrophic pollution of their um, aquifers and water tables as a result of that you know is is it you know is this a growing environmental catastrophe that's happening when we suddenly realize we're running out of well it's been that water? way for a long time look do you realize that just a few weeks ago the lower hackensack river in new jersey was designated a superfund site an additional polluted river in other words, we're not re we're not reducing polluted rivers; we're increasing them. So, no, it's not a great situation. The Clean Water Act was a good time, but that was um, fifty plus years ago, and uh, we we haven't done better. Um, we have also in places that are like the Carolinas, where you have a lot of chicken farms. A lot of the runoff of nitrates is choking rivers and creating algae problems. Um, that's uh, look at uh, Florida with its um, sugarcane plantations generating, again, algae. And you have powerful interests who are able to pay some bills at the local state capital who are saying, no, 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 it's okay. These are not the droids you're looking for. So it's, I could get very exercised about it, um, but I, let's just not be, um, let's, not, let's not pretend that things are good. Even in America, there are still um, polluted waterways better than they you know there's an old story about how the ohio river at, uh at cleveland was literally on fire in the 70s um to, it caught fire that it's not that bad anymore it's it's gotten better but you have pollutants like the nitrates which are sort of they don't look like pollutants it doesn't look like sewage but it does cause these algae um overgrowths because frankly algae is a great curative it'll 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 suck up anything that has a lot of um, nutrients 
and then you get these choked up waterways which kill fish etc so just just uh, i guess taking that opportunity to talk algae while we've got you because i doubt i'm going to do an episode on but i remember back you know 10 15 years ago there was obviously a lot of effort and emphasis going in even from the oil majors in algae itself talking about the the potential to generate uh, alternative fuels and so forth um It'd be lovely just to get, I don't know, we, you, you know, time, but lovely just to get a sort of a five minute snapshot of that. And, you know, whether you think that there was the scientific breakthrough there, just the levelized cost of energy was so high, it made it untenable. And actually in a run up of, uh, you know, of, of fuel prices today, and also the, the potentially, you know, um, the, the, Californian carb, you know, fuel standards, et cetera, you know, there is the opportunity for that to become a, a potential industry again. True. I mean, it's ironic that the, star, the uh, price of oil is coming back up to a point where it could be. When, when I started this company in 2006, 2007, um, we had a mandate to make biofuels from algae. And it makes a lot of sense. Why? Because petroleum is fossilized algae. It's not all these, it's not all these dinosaurs. It's actually, no, I mean, there's not enough dinosaurs, believe me. But huge um, lakes of algae grew to suck up all of the CO2 that was in the atmosphere at the time to make the planet livable. And of course, it's ironic that we're now putting all that carbon back in the atmosphere. But um, it's a logical best um, fuel. Why? Because we have inter internal combustion engines today. So it's a plug compatible fuel. There was lots of promise. Um, there were breakthroughs occurring. We had a uh, uh, proprietary harvesting technology to, because it's very hard to take the microalgae out of the water. We had that electrical bunching thing technology that we had. I'm being very technical, as you can tell. And um, but that um, was going fine, and we were having a great time. We were on all the best shows. Um, you know, Varney on Fox called me Algerman. I'll call you Algerman. You know, it was a lot of fun. That was great. The only problem is, uh, of course, fracking came along. Price of fuel went down to below $50 and stayed there, um, which actually was a good thing for you know, the economies um, because it had been maintained at $120 artificially in order to foster renewables. Well, that is happening again. Uh, it could happen. The only reason why we had to stop was because we don't have – you know, algae as a fuel has no subsidies. It has no real, it, un, unlike petroleum, it doesn't, it's not a subsidized activity. You don't get this, you know, we have mass limited partnerships in fossil fuels, which get a tax benefit, but you have no such thing for a biofuel. So we're, a lot of work to be done. Uh, I do believe there's a lot of promise. I think it's very exciting. Um, uh, what we did, of course, once we had to to pivot is we moved we, we use that same extraction technology to apply it to sewage. And that was our transition into water. Um, I'm, water is a very important space. I'm glad I'm in it. But I, I'm a little nostalgic for the times when we, the heady times when we were uh, <laughs> making biofuels and I was forcing the head of the National Algae Association to taste some of it and almost killed him. 
You know, and uh, well, biofuels at the moment is obviously, again, a hot topic. And we're currently, you know, taking crops from the Midwest and used fats and oils from restaurants and, and turn them into very lucrative uh, renewable diesel to sell into the California markets and sustainable aviation. So it's um, maybe it's one to, to dust off the old playbook. Um, before we before we wrap up, um, I know we've sort of alluded to it, you know, the so with origin clear this idea of actually you know there's an economic reason for uh, now not just the very large size consumers of water but mid-sized businesses to bring in their own treatment to avoid rates you know what is i mean is this something that is is i mean what is the uptake on that is this actually going to provide a solution or is it going to remain sort of just those certain businesses that are you know ESG conscience and conscious and all that side of things. I mean, is this going to be? Do you think transformative? And is this going to be a, a you know a bit of a revolution in in how uh, businesses, agriculture, really approach water usage and treatment? Right. Well, first of all, I'm a, I'm not a strong believer in putting a sort of an ESG uh, paint job on something and to, to market it. You got to have the fundamentals to drive it. At the end of the day, things have got to make sense commercially for um, especially mid-sized businesses, large corporations will play the ESG game and they love to sort of get, you know, marked up on the rankings and so forth. But, um, you know, small to mid-sized businesses have much more close to home concerns, i.e. profit and loss. And, uh, and they've they had a hard time during the pandemic and they're still not great for to be a smaller business today. So um, it has to make financial sense. Now, our challenge is this. We have an ordinary business, which is doing very well. In fact, we just announced that our business tripled from last year to this year. Um, the ordinary business of designing and building systems that people pay for. And we thought we'd go to those people and say, hey, by the way, you don't have to pay. Oh, but we gotten to them too late on the chain. They're like, no, 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 please don't bring it up. We already figured it out. It took us forever, but we figured out the capital. And so these are not people that are open to novel financing. We've got to go earlier. So what we've learned is go early, early into uh, companies that are just starting to try and figure out a, a solution. It's a different audience, um, but it's, I think, potentially much larger, right? Because these are the people who have not solved the problem. And if we can make it very frictionless, then we can start moving faster. And is there potential for this, this technology, similar technology, to go to the developing world as well? I mean, that seems to be like, you know, as you said at the very start of the episode, you're skipping kind of the, the landline phase of telecommunications and going straight to the mobile. I mean, you know, is this something that, you, you know, you see developing world looking at as well? Eventually, of course, you know, every individual in the world loves a smartphone. Every individual in the world does not love a sewage plant. So those are two different things <laughs> altogether. Yeah. <laughs> but having said so, um, here's our plan. Water demand is a financial network. In other words, uh, we are delegating when we finance a system on this paper gallon basis, we then delegate its, its installation to a local water company. And what we want to focus on is creating a financial network that then, um, uh, as let's do it right in America, but let's say we do it right in America, then affiliate with a financial organization in Dubai, in Singapore, in Tokyo, and so forth, to do the same thing for their regional water needs. And that is where it'll start happening. And then, you know, it'll happen with the Indias and Bangladeshis of the world. But um, 
you know, we have to start where the money is. I mean, it's that's the nature of it. And make it a good financial proposition, scale it up, make it something that is, you know, well recognized. And it will start changing things. I've always said that a single company like Origin Clear can't just change things. It takes not even more multiple companies, it takes a movement. It takes a lot of players moving towards this. Fortunately, decentralization is happening organically already. It started 15, 20 years ago, and it's actually starting to gain momentum. And we're putting our backs to the wheel uh, to speed it up. I think it's exciting. I'm having fun with it. Investors love it because they go, oh, I got a piece of a water system. They just think, you know, it's so much better than having a piece of an oil well, you know, because it's beneficial. So people, it's very popular. We're having fun with it. Excellent. Well, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a fascinating area. As you say, you know, it's, uh, it, one day it might also be a, a market that operates like other commodity markets, right? Because people are recognizing the, the value of both the supply, but also, um, you know, that would encourage reuse, et cetera. So, um, Riggs, I thank you very much for your time and, uh, look forward to watching the, uh, the origin clear story. Paul, thank you for your kind words. And, uh, yes, I appreciate it. And perhaps we'll talk again in a few months and see where we've gone. Indeed. Since that was done, uh, a lot of things have changed. I'm going to give you, this is what we've been leading up to all through this briefing. And that is the SPAC project, right? What is a SPAC? Well, remember back in November 7th, we retained a law firm to explore a merger with a special purpose acquisition corporation. Now, as we know, there's lots of these. There's uh, still almost 500 left and they're running out of time. Uh, you could say that the SPAC boom has, the bubble has burst. They're right now, they're trying to like, it's kind of like closing time at the bar. Like, okay, we're running out of potential dates, shall we say. So what, what is happening is that there are these SPACs. And um, so we retained Basil and we went ahead and we said at the time we have not identified one. And today, however, we announced that our water on demand subsidiary Close an acquisition of the Fortune Rice sponsor LLC. What does that mean? We purchased this, the sponsor of Fortune Rise acquisition, NASDAQ FRLA. So, and it basically cost us about half a million dollars. Plus, we assumed some obligations related to the extension of their time in which to complete the merger. And so, this thing says no more than that. Here is the FRLA site. And if you look here, there is our little announcement right there. We're on the NASDAQ um, page. And here's back in November when they extended their period. That's when we first started talking to them. So they had spent a year and then each three-month period after that, they had to pay a million dollars. So they'd paid that. But let's take a look at it. Here's a little article that shows who makes it up. And if you look here on this graph, it'll show you who's who. Well, the individual insiders, 23.6%, that's now water on demand. Now, why isn't it origin clear? Well, it's very simple. Water on demand is our whiz kid. Water on demand is huge. Um, and it is, it's got a regulation A offering, which means we can uh, potentially raise a lot of money. Remember that over at Start Engine, there was a startup called Nightscope robotic startup that raised $110 million from general public. And so we have the ability to make, really make water on demand a, a good player. Now, I'm not saying 
that what on demand is going to be the acquisition of the SPAC. Not saying that at all. Simply saying that we have acquired 23.6% of a corporation that is $100 million in the bank. What's going to happen from that? I tell you, it will not. At the end of the day, there's a whole process where these mergers happen. It does not end up being $100 million, but it is, however, strategic. And why is that? It's strategic because it's a NASDAQ corporation. So um, there's much, much more to come. I unfortunately am very limited in what I can say. I can say nothing more than this. You can, however, look at this page and get some ideas of this um, and what the market cap is, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The trade, even just steadily going upwards from the $10 range where they started, $10, and now they're 1030 Nothing much. Um, it's just a nice little company. Uh, what we do with it, we cannot disclose at this time, but I can tell you we will be able to tell you soon much more to come. What on demand needs to make acquisitions. And this is a very strategic acquisition for what on demand. So have I been tantalizing enough, Ken? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say so. Here we are. I am dressed in the, the clothes that I wore this morning when I was down at the Don Caesar, the Pink Palace, the Pink um, Pink Paradise. Is, okay. That was our anniversary. We, we Happy anniversary. Down. Thank you. Here's what, obviously, we are tantalizing people. But this is a major move. I have to say, here and now, that the investors who helped us make this happen, they are angels. They are unbelievable. Ken, you, you, made, you made marvels happen, but, you know... You, it was a team effort, right? Yeah, no, it's a, you have to be blown away, Ken, by how ready our investors were to work with this. And, they, and, and by the way, it's not over. To hear more... You're going to have to sign a non-disclosure agreement with Ken, and uh, and you have to be qualified. We only really go after existing investors right now for the, the involvement in this. That could change depending how much you beg Ken. Or just ask nice. I, you know, we'll okay, see. ask nice. But um, this is a whole different game. I can tell you this. Regardless of what happens with the actual um, specifics of this transaction, we are now dealing in a world of NASDAQ, the uh, well, the, it's big, it's Major League Baseball now, right? It's not Triple A ball. It's not it's not um, it's not Little League. Money ball. Uh, what I found, what made me smile, was that our participation in this thing comes up on the news story of a NASDAQ traded entity that has twenty percent institutional ownership currently. Sure. So, so in other words, our our message is so broadly more magnified now. These institutional, these current institutional holders are going to, they have front row seats. Well, no, they have second row seats. Our, I think our, the people that are speaking to me under NDA have front row seats, but okay. They have second row seats, but they're institutional players. And they're going to see execution upon execution as we, and, and I think that they, I think, I, I honestly believe that when they understand the nature of what water on demand is, FinTech for water as a service, I think we're going to entice. I think really do. I think we're going to entice yeah, a lot. You know, it's not add, we're getting over our skis here because we're not implying that one on demand is going to be involved with. No, this. but I think I think they're going to love our story. Okay, here, but again, the more we speculate, the more we sort of start, you know, walking into the weeds. Here's sure. so, so what I'm basically saying is, if Hutton is the bank behind this uh, SPAC, 
Mm-hmm. Jeff Hutton has 51 SPACs, and this is one of them. And now we're talking to a, um, an investment bank that's got some real legs, and it is a different world. It's a different world. So, which is wonderful because, you know, um, right now what you're doing with the Series Y, um, you know, round, which I'm going to put up on screen for everyone, um, is really good for investors, and but it's not great finance. It's super rich. And so that's why it's limited to $20 million of which we've already raised seven. So um, the last 13 million, and that's it. After that, it's going to be the unaccredited investors will be pulling, will be, uh, you know, doing the heavy lifting and the institutional money that we get through the stuff that we do. So all that we can say as just to recap this, and we can't talk more specifics, is that Water Demand has made an acquisition. It's a piece of a very of a NASDAQ company, what we will put in that NASDAQ company that is more to follow, more to follow. I've not said enough. (laughs) No, I'm afraid to say anything else. Um, No, it's look, I'm excited. uh, Obviously, I was just very pleased this this, to see our our new story up with a bigger company because, you know, we've had this this um, this goal of being able to reach out, reach a broader audience. And I I believe that this is extremely helpful in that regard. Yeah, and the reason why Water Demand is doing this is just to make it clear: it is going to have an acquisition in the Regulation A filing that we made that is public already. We're mm-hmm. saying we're going to make acquisitions, and this is one of those acquisitions. And I think we'll leave it at that. Oh, James Wright, who listens when EF Hutton talks? Yeah, you're showing your age. Um, what happened was EF Hutton, the bank, went out of business many decades ago, and and the um, an investment bank, a very good one, purchased the name, and uh, and they're actually really good. I really like them. They're great people. They have lots of resources. So, yes, which was uh, which was really very timely. Um, I'm very happy. You know, this past week has been kind of a whirlwind. A lot of things going on. Happy, but I'm you know obviously excited. Um, I think we'll be able to kind of continue this uh, in the coming per- short period of time and be able to extend our ability to communicate on this, but, you know, just from our discussions and discussions with the experts that we've been talking to about this, um, it's exciting times. It really is. It really is. So, Well, that's fantastic. So Ken, thank you to you and all the uh, the investors who jumped in again, because we have the most uh, amazingly loyal group to possibly think of. If you want to know more about that, just go to oc.go slash Ken to book time on his busy schedule. And then, or in the email, investorosionclear.com. Two caveats, two caveats. We have to get an NDA signed prior to my appointment, prior to even booking the appointment. And um, please, for now, this is only for accredited investors. And we'll need to verify that because this is a very special situation, right? So it's not something that, you know, um, fortunately, the time of segregating the public is but I want to say this. To right, right. But I want to say this. Even if a person invests only in Series Y, the current uh, offering, they're getting a piece of water on demand. Oh, of course, absolutely. It's, it's a win-win. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. No, I, and you know, I, I'm for for reasons that you and I have talked about. Um, the amount of leverage that exists in Series Y. This was designed when we when none of this was here, right? So it really doesn't match our current reality, but it's too much trouble and too expensive right now to change 
to change it. So we're just going to let it run to, to the end and we'll just make some minor. Some no, minor. no, we need the $20 million group as our pilot yes. group. We yes. got to have Agreed. Agreed. We're going to have pilot projects. We have four pilot projects we're in discussions about. I'll do, I'll do more next week on that because we need to. Yeah. People want to know about that too. But and basically, then, the $20 million is strategic. Once we're mm-hmm. done with the $20 million, then we're done with that and we move to institutional and the regulation A offering. And 2023 is going to be amazing. Everyone, I want to wish you guys and gals an amazing year ahead. You've uh, The last few weeks have been so exciting. Ken, you're a rock star. And uh, don't let it go to your head, okay? You know, you can have coffee now. That's it. Thank you. I can't have coffee this late. I'm old now. I, it keeps me up, so. All right. All you right. Have a coupon. There you go. Ha, ha, have a good evening. Happy New Year, everybody. Here's to a great year ahead. And uh, do stay in touch. And stay tuned next week. I guarantee you it will be a very exciting briefing. No more than that can be said. Ciao, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.